1 Corinthians, listen to these incredible words to the church at Corinth by the Apostle Paul. Incredible words to us as well, starting with verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. In this life, only we have hoped in Christ. We are of all people most to be pitied. But... In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by one man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruit, then at His coming, those who belong to Christ. Now, skip over to verse 51. We'll actually begin in verse 50 and preach or read through 55. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? With me would you say the Apostles' Creed, and we will emphasize the last phrase of the Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to the dead. The third day He arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there He shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, 
the holy Christian church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life eternal. Amen. Almighty God, we thank you for the affirmations that we can make of these wonderful, marvelous scriptural truths. And I pray now that as we consider for these few moments the wonder of our affirmation that someday our bodies will be raised from the dead, joined to our spirits, so that we can live in the presence of our Redeemer for eternity. We thank you for that. Pray now that you would give us ears that listen and hear as we study through this. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you're new with us, uh, we are finishing up the Apostles' Creed. I have a few more things that I will want to say to you in the next couple of weeks as we wrap it up, but really, uh, this is the last phrase other than amen, all right? This is the last phrase in the Apostles' Creed, and let me just say this. The writers of the Apostles' Creed, they, they were not the apostles, we need to get this down, We've already said that. But the authors of the Apostles' Creed really did save the best for last. If you find that hard to believe or hard to affirm, just think about it. Everything that we have affirmed in the Creed is vital to our grounding, to our growing to our protection in the Christian faith. But, as we just got through reading, without this reality of the resurrection of our bodies, everything else that we believe is really not worth much. I hate to admit it, but I used to say this phrase that I'm about to share with you, that shows really an ignorance of the reality of the re resurrection of the body. And I'm afraid that the church of Jesus Christ largely has ignored this incredible teaching. I, I remember saying to a guy, and I was trying to make a point about the power of the transformed life that Jesus Christ came to give. And I said, look, there are benefits to following Christ. And then I followed with these words. Even if there were no promise of heaven, I would still be a Christian. Now, I base that on the reality of the redeemed relationship that you and I have in Jesus Christ right now. But do you see the very subtle error that I was making? Paul didn't feel that way. In fact, he says very strongly that this kind of reasoning, that even if there were no promise of resurrection, no promise of eternal life, that even if there were none of that, he said that kind of thinking is absolutely foolish. I know that was a lot of reading a minute ago, so let's go back and look at some of what we just read so that you can understand this. You've got to see this and how important it is. 
I really believe that, that if not just adding to, I'm going to be helping some of you to challenge some of what you've believed about eternal life as a Christian. Now listen to Paul's logic. If there is no resurrection of the dead, he's talking about our resurrection, folks. If you and I cannot rely on the reality of the resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Uh-oh, that puts it in a pretty important light. And if Christ has not be, been raised, he says, then our preaching is worthless. That's what vanity means. It means empty. If you and I do not have, oh, I just cannot imagine churches that do not teach the reality of the resurrection of our bodies from the dead. Preacher gets up and preaches and does not believe that and teach that? What's that say? What does Paul say about his preaching? It's worthless. Not only that, the people to whom I would be preaching, your faith is in vain. Your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. He goes on, then those also who've fallen asleep, that's an that's a euphemism. We'll talk about euphemisms in a little bit. They're okay because the Bible uses them, but, but we're going to need to get to the reality of what it's really like. Those who've fallen asleep, died in Christ, have perished. There's no hope. If in Christ we have hoped, listen to this phrase, if in Christ we have hoped in this life only, I'd be a Christian if there were no heaven because of this life. If in Christ we have hoped in this life only, we are pathetic. We need to be clear on that. This sermon is not about Jesus' resurrection from the dead. We've already covered that. And we will cover that in just a few weeks when we come to Resurrection Sunday. This is specifically, this last phrase in the Apostles' Creed is affirming the belief, our belief that our bodies, if you are a Christian, let me please make that caveat clear. If you are a Christian, then this last phrase is an affirmation that you and I, our bodies, someday that will be in the grave, and some of our loved ones who are already in the grave, that they will be raised imperishable. If you've ever been to the funeral, and I know you have, let me rephrase that, to the graveside of a loved one. And you've seen that loved one's body being put into the grave, the mausoleum, perhaps they were cremated, but they were still disposed of. And then you've walked away from that. No matter how much we try to Christianize those things, we are still struck with a deep, harsh sense of the reality of death. How many of you have said when you've watched a non-Christian go to a funeral or you've been to a non-Christian's funeral or you know of a non-Christian friend whose loved one has died, how many of you have said, I don't know how they do it without Jesus? 
An entire industry has sprung up. Do you realize that the modern funeral home ministry, and I thank God. Listen, I always tell the funeral directors, I always give them a thanks. Some are better than others. But they, they do perform a, a, a vital service in some ways. But the modern funeral home business in our country didn't begin until around the, the, the Civil War, at the end of the Civil War, when embalming came into vogue. Before that, any of you historians, you know what they did. The loved one was put into the parlor of the house, and they were kept there while people came. That's why typically we call the, the places where we go for funerals the funeral parlor. And they do their best to help us deal with death and I'm for that, but I mentioned a few minutes ago some of the euphemism, fallen asleep, passed on, departed, slipped away, and all of those, again, I understand that, but somehow we need to look, again, at what the Bible talks about when it talks about the reality of death. Now, in your outline, there are three basic topics, and we will organize our thoughts under these. And the first one that we want to look at is the bodies we have. I want you to think about your body for a minute. I know for some of you, that's not a very pleasant thought. But let's talk about for a minute the bodies we have and the curse of death that we all face. Jim, you, you couldn't have uh, nailed it any better when you said that we are gripped with fear, and nowhere is there more fear than in death. Why is the coronavirus so fearsome, folks? Why is it? Because it makes you sick? Most people who are thinking about that don't say because it makes you sick. The fear is because it makes you dead. This is, this is a huge reminder, a huge reminder that God is giving the world to see that death is coming, and not to ignore it. And the older we get, by the way, for some of you students and, and young adults, I can tell you that there are advantages as well as disadvantages to getting older. Because we can, we can begin, depending on what, where you are on the spectrum, we, we have begun to see the reality of what? Look at it again, the curse of death on our own bodies. Now, let me ask you, we, we really do, don't we? Don't you have a love-hate relationship with your body? Don't, don't we all kind of have a love-hate relationship? I'll ask you a question. If you had the power to change your body, now I really want you to think about that. If you had the power to change your body, the way you look or the way you feel, would you? And you say, Pastor, that's a pretty dumb question. You see, the question is not would you use the power, but would you use it simply to repair or would you do a complete makeover? 
Would we even recognize you? I want you to hang on to that thought for a few minutes. You see, our bodies wear out. <sighs> My, they sag. I'm just giving a personal testimony. They bulge in the wrong places. They wrinkle. The joints get creaky. Now, see, students, you, you really can't fully relate. We've been, all of us who are older than I'm just describing right now, we've been where you are. And some of you children, you have not been where we are. The arteries harden, the eyes grow dim. Read the last chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes, not during the sermon, but later on. That's all a, a word picture, an analogy of growing old. <sighs> Teeth fall out. Backs are stooped, muscles weaken, I could go on and on. I found a really interesting article, I'm not going to read all of them. 51 signs you're getting older. I'm only going to read 10. Okay? See if you can relate. Now, again, students, young people, children. But just wait. You can write these down carefully in your note. Here's, here are signs that you're getting older. Everything hurts, and what doesn't hurt doesn't work. <laughs> the gleam in your eyes is from the sun hitting your bifocals. Your children begin to look middle-aged because they are. You look forward to a dull evening at home. Your favorite, now this is interesting, your favorite part of the newspaper is 20 years ago today. <laughs> but who reads the newspaper today? Yeah. You sit in a rocking chair and you can't get it going. Your knees buckle, but your belt won't. <laughs> your back goes out more than you do. I love that. <laughs> you quit trying to hold your stomach in no matter who walks into the room, okay? And this is my favorite because of those of us who exercise. You get your exercise acting as a pallbearer for your friends who exercise. So what does the Bible say about death? What does the Bible say about our death? Let me, let, let me just give you several things that death is. Are you ready? You can write down these references. The Bible teaches that death is certain. Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed once for a man to die. It's certain. It's a reality. The Bible also teaches, as a follow-up to that verse, the second part, it's not the end it's appointed once for a man to die, and then after that comes judgment. Second thing, death is not a natural part of life. You know, this is a common thought. Well, death is just a, a, a part of life. Listen, folks, there is nothing natural about death. Death is the horrible separation of the body and the spirit, soul, no matter where and how we try to dress it up. And death is the penalty for sin. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. When Adam sinned, 
the curse of death resulted. First spiritual death, and then physical death, and then eternal death. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. Not only that, death is an enslaver. It enslaves and it destroys. Hebrews 2, though death through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That may not be true of you, but it's true of a whole host of people all around you. Here's one more thing. Death is an enemy. Death is not your friend. The last enemy, Paul says, to be defeated is death. Now, barring a return of the Lord, and and for some people in this group, you think you're time of, of, of going, your death is going to be a long time off. Most of us do, even if we're old. But there will come a time when you die. And at the point of death, you will, your body will cease to live, cease to be animated. The body will be separated from your soul. And while your soul will dwell, and I'm talking about Christians now, In heaven with Christ, your body will remain in the earth or the grave or the the tomb, the mausoleum, or whatever state, and it will continue to be corrupted. It will continue to decay. Paul says these words, I read them just a moment ago, your body is sown in dishonor. What does that mean? You know what it really means? It means that death, no matter what we try to do, is not pretty. Death even realized that separation. He longed to be clothed with his physical body. And remember that he also said that if we only hope in this life in Christ, we are of all men most to be pitied. Now, if you'll remember back to last week, we talked about the forgiveness of sins, which removes the curse of spiritual death. And and I, I think you would agree with me that it was almost wonderful beyond comprehension, but according to what Paul has told us, it is simply not enough. I fear that what many religions believe has subtly crept into Christianity, that we see the body as a kind of container or a covering that is basically evil. It's a container for the soul, the spirit that is to be discarded when we die so that our souls can be set free. But you see, the Bible also says that through Jesus Christ, He has defeated death, abolished it, and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. And and so we need to get this this twofold kind of, of a sense. 
in how we think about death. On one hand, it is an incredible tragedy. So don't let anybody try to talk you out of that. But it's also an incredible blessing for the believer because our souls, our spirits are taken directly into the presence of Christ, but that is not all there is. Christians believe in the resurrection of the body. It is part of the gospel message. We believe that salvation and redemption will not be complete until Christ returns and the body is resurrected from the dead and rejoined with our souls. I wonder if in this country, most Christians, people who name the name of Jesus Christ, really have this vision that we will spend eternity in a disembodied state will be some kind of an angel floating around on clouds and strumming harps. I know that that's a parody, but I wonder how many Christians, professing Christians, believe something like that. And that's why very subtly, in the back of our minds, we believe that heaven will be boring. That's why we grab for all the gusto we can in this life. Let's go on to this second point on the outline, the resurrection that we will enjoy from death to resurrection. You see, we're not just talking about soul salvation. We're talking about whole salvation. And if death is the fundamental human problem, and it is, then what is the Christian Answer, look back, if you would, at chapter 15 and verses 51 through 55. That, that whole passage that I commonly read at the graveside when I'm doing a funeral service. Let me, let me give you three things about this passage that you need to note about the coming resurrection. In case you missed it a minute ago. First thing is this, it's going to be instant when it happens. And, and Paul uses two things in, the, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And those things are in, in a flash, faster than you can blink in a nanosecond. Our bodies will be raised to life. Second thing, it will happen when Jesus returns. Now, we read through this a minute ago, but I just want to highlight some of these things. Three different slides on 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We don't want you to be uninformed. That's what Paul said about those who fall asleep, those who are dead, those whose bodies are in the grave. Grieving is good, but not grieving without hope. And here's our hope. Since Christ died and rose again, God will bring with him those who have died, those who are with the Lord. For this we declare to you by the word from the Lord that those of us who are alive, we remain, we are left until the coming of the Lord, will precede those who have fall, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. 
The dead in Christ will rise first. You know, every Saturday, and I've kind of geared myself to think of it when I hear it. How many of you heard the siren yesterday at noon? Did you hear it? How many of you heard it, but you just ignored it? If you live as close as we do to one, it's hard to ignore. But, but I like to think that that's going to be at least similar to what's going to happen on that day when there's going to be a sound of the trumpet of God and then it's too late to ignore that. Then we who are alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So it's going to happen instantly. It'll happen when Jesus comes back, and it will mean our entire transformation. We're going to be changed. Now, Paul is not specific, but he gives us a hint at how we will be different. If you back up, in fact, I do want you to back up. Same chapter, but look at verse 36, because... Again, we wonder, what is is this going to look like? He gives us a little hint here. So I want to try to paint a picture of, of at least the comparison or the contrast with your earthly bodies that you have here. Verse um, 35, um, let's, let's start with that. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? He says, you foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that it is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen to each kind of seed to its body. So somebody asked Paul, what's it going to look like when I get my resurrection body? And what Paul says is this, look, I'm, I'm not, maybe he didn't know. But he said this, I'm going to tell you so you can contrast or you can compare. I'm going to give you a hint. And he said, I want you to take a seed. Let's think of an acorn, okay? Go outside today and get an acorn and put it in your hand and look at that. And if you tore it open, there's not going to be a little, a little tree, an oak tree, out of that acorn. But if you plant that acorn in the ground, given time, then you look up at the oak tree from whence it came, and you're going to see the contrast from that little acorn came this huge, magnificent oak tree. So when Paul talks about from perishable to imperishable, from dishonor to glory, from weakness to power, I'm thinking that we will have our bodies in which we have known each other. If there is a greeting time in heaven, there may be, then we won't have to worry about coronavirus and shaking hands. We're going to shake hands, hug, all the rest of that, and we're going to know each other because you'll have your body. Now, this is almost, it just blows my mind. And I'm thinking about you. I'm not thinking about me necessarily. And this is what excites me about the eternal state. As different as that acorn 
is from the huge oak tree. And I'm thinking of an oak tree in our front courtyard, a huge, magnificent oak tree, as different as those are. That's how different your body right now is going to be from the magnificent specimen that you will be when I see you. And you know what I think of when I think of that? I don't think of myself being a magnificent specimen. I think of my mother who died at 50 years of age from cancer. And the last time I visited her before she died, she was a shell of the person that she had been. You talk about when Paul says the body is sown in dishonor. He got it right. And when I think about, I don't know what it's going to be like when I close my eyes for the last time here on this earth or when it's going to be and I open my eyes in heaven and I believe that we will know each other and I want to see Jesus but I'm looking forward to seeing my mom and to see the difference between the acorn that she was in this life. And she was a pretty good acorn. To see the magnificence after Jesus has come back of the body that he has prepared for her. I think we are going to be absolutely blown away. It's going to be stunning. Now, please hear me on this. I don't think it's going to be measured by physical beauty. That's what we do in our world. We measure things with physical beauty. I think it's going to be measured with those things that are the the imperishable qualities, the fruit of the Spirit. I don't know how it's going to work, but I think it's just going to be a beauty beyond compare. Any of you drive old cars? Jalopies? Till the last couple of years, Jan and I, oh, our kids, Jason, you remember the old green machine with the spring coming out of the seat, and our kids didn't want us to pull up to school. Drop us off two blocks away. <laughs> Pretty embarrassed about the car, cars. I like to jokingly say, some of you can relate. What kind of car do you drive? Well, I drive a Rolls Canardly. You know what a Rolls Canardly is, don't you? Rolls down one hill, can hardly make it up another. Yeah. But think of it this way. He's not just going to patch it up. He's not going to just take your old jalopy of a body and patch it up. He's going to give you a brand new 13, I looked it up, the most expensive car in the world is a $13 million Rolls Royce. But in this life, even it has to be taken in for service and change tires. You'll never have to have that happen with your new resurrection body. Revelation 
Revelation 21 gives us a little bit of insight when we get to be there with him. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. The former things have passed away. Behold, I am making all things new. Let me just talk to you very, very briefly about the last thing. As far as the timing, what's the timing of this? What's the quality of this? What's the location of this? In one sense, you already possess eternal life, believer. Hey, listen, if you're here without Christ, you, you need to hear the promise of God. John 17, 3 says, This is eternal life, that they may know the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. See, it starts right now. The timing is right now. It just continues into eternity. We already have the present reality that flows from our union with Christ. Not only that, it means, listen, not just existing forever. I said a minute ago, uh, and, and you think about it. Would you like to be immortal on this earth? And there have been movies and books about this. I don't think so. As all of your friends and family would die, it would turn out to be just a monotonous groundhog over and over kind of experience every day. We're not talking about just life that exists forever. Even people in hell exist forever. We're talking about living eternally. We're talking about relationship with the living, with the living God. What makes heaven heaven? The presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. The last thing is that the Bible speaks of the location where we will spend eternity, not floating on the clouds, folks. You know what, what God was trying to do back in the garden? Remember that? Genesis 1-1 when he created everything and everything was good. And then we fell into sin because of our first uh, Father, I'm going to go through these slides because uh, I've already basically sent them to you. And I'm going to have you turn to Revelation 21. Uh, but our father Adam is our federal head. He blew it. Plunged all of us into sin. We were all corrupted by the fall into sin. And the rest of the Bible tells the story of how God has been busy at work redeeming humanity and creation. And once Jesus returns, God will finally dwell with his resurrected people. Listen to it. Tells exactly where we're going to live. Then, verse 1, chapter 21 of Revelation, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more, neither shall there be any mourning or crying, or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, 
I am making all things new. I want you to bow your heads with me if you would. For those of you who are in Christ, this has been a teaching on our affirmation that our bodies will be raised, joined with our souls and spirits to live eternally in the most wonderful existence, creative, exhilarating. I can't even think of the adjectives to describe it. A relationship with the living God through Christ. But if you're here today and you're without Christ, then I want you to think deeply. You will live an eternal existence. But away from the blessing and the glory of God in the eternal flames of hell. The Bible says you don't have to. The Bible says today, if you hear His voice, is the day of salvation. And I would tell you what the Bible tells you. Repent of your sins and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Believe that he died for sinners like you and make it personal. Ask him to forgive you, to be your Lord and your Savior and begin afresh and anew, a brand new life where he gives you the beginning of eternal life even today. Father, I thank you that we have looked at what your word says about the resurrection of the body. I thank you that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, always take your word and use it as you see fit. So I pray that you would do that today to encourage those of us who know you and to quicken those who do not know you so that they will turn from sin and trust in Christ. So thank you, Lord, for the promises of that. And I ask you to help us to respond in the right way. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.